Hello, and welcome to this episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. I am, as I usually am, Katherine Troyer, and I'm so excited to be joined by Tony Tresca. Hey there. This is a podcast where the horrifically nerdy meets the terrifyingly academic, as we explore that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we are so excited to have you join us today for our discussion of Friday the 13th, A New Beginning. Decided it was time to to make our way through the Friday the 13th franchise. I won't lie, and, and apologies to those of you that are diehard Friday the 13th fans, but I, I was a little worried, right? Because mm-hmm. I wasn't sure what I was getting into because I was pretty confident that I wasn't as big of a fan of this franchise as others. And then there's these Fair. films like the one we're talking about today that have such low scores that I was like, okay, this is going to be real rough times. But I guess the good part about examining a franchise that you don't have an obsession about in the same way others do is that you can take delight in the films that no one else seems to like mm-hmm. yeah friday the 13th part five a new beginning like the franchise's reboot of sorts kind of weird it kind of falls like right near the middle of the these release of of the <laughs> franchise it's bonkers i it's also disliked by pretty much universally everyone. It's not one of those films that like critics hate, but audiences have like rallied around. Yeah. No, the no. the horror community hates this movie. I, yes. I was doing some research on this on on the blogs, so um, I'm the real monster. I <laughs> 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 and, and people just this is consistently ranked near the bottom of people's opinions of the Friday the 13th franchise. People really have strong objections to massive spoilers. The Jason not being Jason. And that's fair. And I want to, I do want to get to that because I, I don't have a problem with it in terms of the film. I have a problem with it in terms of just this desire to continue cash cow mm-hmm. milking or whatever one does to a cash cow. But before we get there, now that everyone knows that Jason is not Jason, would you give us a, a brief like summary of, of what does happen in this film? Yes, absolutely. So, Friday the 13th. Jason, maybe he's back? Uh, young Tommy has escaped from Crystal Lake, but he's still going to be, he's still very, very haunted by everything that's happening around him. And when he finds his way at kind of like a halfway house, this kind of mental health place, murders start happening, things get bad. And he's not entirely sure why. It's, sim- it's a killer who's very similar to Jason, who, and the police seem to think that this might be who it is. And that's who everybody in the town believes it to be. But dun dun, it's not Jason. It's somebody else from inside. And it's it's funny that everyone is like, no, we're pretty sure it's Jason because we know Jason's dead, right? Like that is that is how the last film ended, and that is also how this film begins. Yeah. And I understand why Tommy is like, perhaps it's Jason. That that makes sense to me. I I remain less convinced why the police are like, I bet it's him. You yeah, know? it doesn't so. seem to make a whole lot of sense besides just like 
maybe the police chief of this town is just like a big conspiracy theorist. I, you know, I mean, crazy things have happened. <laughs> yes. Uh, in small town I mean, policing, I, I mean. <laughs> well, that's true. I guess never mind. You're right. It makes perfect sense why they immediately turn to a supernatural solution. People who are diehard Friday the 13th fans were obviously not okay with this film taking away quote, the defining feature of Friday the 13th. And I'm putting that in big quotes because he's not the killer in the first film. No, right? no, he's not. And, and so is he, you know, the actual defining element? Apparently he is, but also that's so weird. And the book I want to reference, because there's not really much scholarship, unsurprisingly, on A New Beginning, but there that's is, of course, crazy. a lot of scholarship. I can't believe I no academics want to throw their weight behind this film. It's <laughs> such a shocker. But, but there is, of course, tons of stuff on, on Friday the 13th. So I just want to give a shout out to the book that is called See, Hear, Cut, Kill, Experiencing Friday the 13th, and that's by Wickham Clayton. Mm. And See, Hear, Cut, Kill are all with exclamation marks, so kind of like in your head, do it to the music of a Friday the 13th. But in this book, he basically breaks down the entire franchise and talks about what's going on, how the franchise works, all that good stuff, and, and looks at, at various films. There's an entire um, sort of like glossary of characters. It's really comprehensive. And there are a couple of things that, that he talks about in here, including the fact that, that he acknowledges that this was supposed to be, as the title indicated, a new beginning, right? They were going to reboot the franchise, and they yeah. were going to reboot the franchise with Tommy being the killer. Right. And that very end of, of this film was going to be the first killing, right? When he he kills the the nurse of the the home, and they obviously okay. had to scrap that. I mean, right? I, I guess they, that so that didn't happen. But I was like, that's interesting. No, that's kind of interesting. It's very interesting that they. It's interesting to see how horror. We're going to talk about this later in this very film. It's interesting yes. to see how horror plots like will eventually just repeat themselves, though. Because yes. is that not just what we just got done watching with the new Halloween movies? Yeah, so I'm I'm baffled. I remain incredibly baffled by I think it's the money people. I, I don't know who it is, but by the people oh, who the truly money. think yeah. that <laughs> there's going to be a lucrative venue in taking out the parts people like, but then just rebooting it. Right? Like it's really weird to me because I'm sure if Halloween had done better, and obviously, uh, you know, also in Halloween ends, we didn't have someone that was they both both of the, the shape yeah. and Corey, I can't and remember. Corey, his name yeah, now. they both. They both uh, you know, they both die, die. But like, you know, if it had been popular enough, they probably would have found a way to bring Corey back and put him in a mask because that's what people seem to think we actually want. And this is clearly not the case. This isn't going to be a spoiler for the next film, but uh, Clayton talks about the fact that you know, in the next film, we can't have Tommy be the killer because people just were not buying that. So they yeah. had to build in this like elaborate thing where. He wields the knife and then Pam manages to prevent him from using the knife on her and that he she helps him heal. And they yeah. had to like they had to build this whole alternative story that happened in this made up space between in order for the film, the next film, to bring us back to Jason, which of course is what what everyone wanted. The other things that Clayton talks about is that he says uh, that a new beginning offers some different things in terms of the camera work 
that he says a new beginning proves a significant turning point in the use and development of the eye camera within the series because starting with this film we focus more on the death blow instead of the identity of the attacker mm-hmm. and that then this happens in in other films as well so there are some interesting things happening stylistically there but of course this was not a film that did the things people thought it would I guess so, because it definitely does represent a major another. Uh, the, it was, that's a really nice note about the cinematography and the development yeah. of that there. I, before going on, that's a really great observation. I don't think I had cued in to that. But this was the first like articulation of that eye view mm-hmm. within. And, or I don't know if I even noticed that it was that special for this franchise, but that is actually I don't really, think that's I really had significant. Either. Okay, that's super yes. cool. Yes, and I think it's because they were trying to, you know, they were it not was, having us focus on the killer as much, right? And, because the killer is supposed to be the surprise. And yeah, and so then I, I think that also leads then to the other tonal kind of development. So we had the cinematography development. And I think the other major thing that definitely came for this franchise and did stick around, even if they did not ultimately commit to Tommy Boy staying the man behind the map, they definitely commit to this focus on... It's tonally so much more about the the deaths now than it ever yes. was in the previous four films. I, yes. I, I, I'm not going to sit here. You've heard our previous conversations where we kind of were, like, we talked to death, like, how kind of contrived and, like, oh, melodramatic the first four films are when it comes to death. But they're, like, at least still trying to create real characters, like, most of them, like... Yes, they're yes. attempting human beings. Whereas at this one, I think it really does evolve. Like the people are just there to die. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. And and not only are they just there to die, but whatever remaining threads that we have from from the first film in terms of like the motivation, right? Yeah. Is she killing people that are not actually responsible for Jason's death? Yes, but like, is she killing people that it makes sense? Right. Absolutely. And then in the second film, it was like. Kind of, because they're at the camp again. Yeah. And then the third one, it was like a little bit, because they're still in proximity. But in this film, you're you're absolutely correct. And, you know, and I know I took this from Clayton, and I can't remember the the name of, of who he was talking about, but the person that came up with and created the first Friday the 13th actually doesn't like any of them after, because he's very emphatically said, this was a, a tragedy, right? This is the story of a mother that has lost her sense of control. This is not the franchise of, of some mutant mask wearing son and i think you can see that even more in this film right where it just feels like it's like you said it's gore for gore's sake it's really a film of of blood and boobs right because we also just have a lot more gratuitous nudity and i heard and by heard i mean i read somewhere that the director was obligated to put in a death about every seven or eight minutes so we did i did not see the exact ring time but i did know that there was i did read that the studio was like we've gotta have we gotta up we gotta up up those deaths that's what people want to see these days and i guess maybe that's a reaction a little bit to nightmare on elm street Mm -hmm. perhaps like coming in on the scene so strong with it's like with its emphasis on gore yes and and like flashy (laughs) spectacle deaths If I'm like going to who like the business money people are and like what they're thinking, I imagine yes. they saw that film come out in '85 or when, when did it? When did when did the '84 in the early '80s? And they were like, mm-hmm. "Let's do that." People like that more blood. <laughs> I only remember the date because you know I don't remember any dates for Nightmare because when when you were helping me with the the home and horror class and you gave the background. You told me a fact that I felt like validated many things in my life. And that was that they started production on the day that I was born on June 11, 1984. So that's yeah. right. 
anyway, so maybe it's that. Certainly we have lots and lots of blood and, and nightmare, but you can just feel it from the very first kill onward. And, and you're so right that none of these people, in a way that's increasingly true as the franchise continues, matter except to be except to be killed because if you read the plot description like i thought this was going to be friday the 13th version of of nightmares dream warriors which admittedly came out later you and i verified that right dream warriors came out in 87 yeah but like you read it and it's like tommy shows up in a group home and like the descriptions are like and there's so and so who has a stutter and and the couple and and, yeah, yeah exactly and so I thought it was going to be that they all sort of team up together, not that they really quickly all die massively. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a wasted opportunity. I I also did think it was just ripping off Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warriors, but now I know maybe it inspired Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warriors. <laughs> or at least it was in the cultural zeitgeist at the same... People want it murders at mental health hospitals were in the cultural zeitgeist of the 80s i guess what was wrong with the 80s i don't know it's it's really interesting that like the that's the message that people decided to communicate was that like don't go to an institute because not only are the crazies there but it's really extra broken and very Um, dangerous and no one will come investigate or care if you die yes so i want to start with Actually, one of my first complaints, and and maybe this is other people's complaints too, this feels so superficial, but I will say it just also feels odd to me. I just wasn't, I wasn't behind the casting for Tommy Jarvis in large part because I don't, I don't understand why he's suddenly blonde. And I know that's a super minor detail (laughs) in the grand scheme of things, but like, it's like they didn't even try to find someone that looked remotely like Corey Feldman. No, and Feldman, I believe he makes a cameo appearance. Yes, at the beginning, which actually beginning. makes it worse, right? Right, because then you remember <laughs> what he looks like. I was like, yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know what the logic there was. I think maybe it was just no logic. People won't question it. And and you know, we're gonna get a different actor uh, in our next in the version ne- yeah. of, of Tommy, who is also not gonna be dark haired. But that's you know, I guess. That's a small thing. I will say, and I both loved it because it was just so ridiculous and over the top, but it also drove me batty. I will say that the characters in this film are so ridiculous. Yeah. And and in a way that's enjoyable, and, and maybe it's part of the reason why I'm okay with watching them all be brutally murdered, but starting with our, our first death, I, I don't know what it is about the 70s and 80s also deciding that anyone who's fat is probably also mentally diminished, right? Like- Think about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We had another Friday the 13th that had a heavier person. So Joey's not just an overeater. Joey's a, a creepy person. Like, yeah. Really creepy. Like, I'm sorry. When I eat chocolate, I manage to not have it all over my face. You, you know what I mean? Every character is just like, whatever stereotype they're playing at, they have just yes. turned it up to like an 11. Yes. <laughs> In ways that are just wildly profound. I, I think it's a part of the, like, subtle... De- and it feels weird to say this about, like, a horror franchise, because I know a lot of people are already, like, it's, like, e- horror is evil and bad intrinsically. Right, right. But, like, it's not. I don't think that's... I think that's a boogie strawman argument. I do, however, think that this film is the start of a interesting trend within horror of dehumanizing all of the villain- of victims yes. uh, to, like, just an absurd extent yes. uh yes it's i mean it's it definitely works because 
you absolutely do not care at all when these people yes. start dying yes. and you're like when he, I was with you I was like some of these people are really annoying so I'm like yes thank god but also that's a terrible terrible thing it that is. the film has <laughs> it is and I and I think it's the mark of people making horror who don't actually know what horror is and I'm not meaning the filmmakers because I think they did the best with what they had. Oh, I yeah. mean <laughs> the the studio, right? The studio saying like, we're pretty sure the formula for a successful horror film is kill as many people as possible. And then, you know, that'll be golden. So we're going to go ahead and do that. And, you know, I, again, I don't blame any filmmaker for taking an opportunity to make a film. I don't blame any actor or actress for actually having a budget. Okay. I don't blame them for as... In this case, I don't blame them. And you definitely shouldn't because a lot of the actors and people involved in this production did not know what they were signing on to when they accepted oh the gosh, roles. Oh my gosh, really? Yes, behind Tell me the more. scenes gossip. So this production, Yay. I mean, as you can see from the final product, it's a it's a bit sloppy. It's a bit yeah. filled with debauchery and... Uh, lots of drug use and nudity, and apparently all of that was happening on set as well. So huh. the, the production was riddled by the team's heavy, heavy drug usage, uh, and the actors yeah. were not privy to the film that they were signing on to when they did. They they thought it was some other... The actors... It's actually really funny. The lead actor was so angry when he found out he was working on a Friday the 13th film because he had spent months doing real research in like a mental hospital, speaking with people oh and doing these and doing like all of this character work for this serious oh film gosh. he thought he was about to make. And then he shows up in the woods with this like team of production team of people just getting like so ungodly high and just like such a mess. And oh he was gosh. so furious to find out he was working yeah. on Friday the 13th, the new Friday the 13th. Yeah, I, I, I swear to you, the that things crazy? that happened in the 70s and 80s are just, when it comes to horror films, are just outstandingly, amazingly over the top ridiculous. I yes. can't even imagine that being like allowed. So the fake title that they use was Repetition, which is hilarious. Yeah. Oh my God. The, yeah. John Shepard had spent, he had been volunteering <laughs> uh, at the state mental hospital, but so sad. <laughs> and it was just so incredibly disappointed to find out it was the fifth entry. And another one of the actors, uh, Dick Wynand was like, it wasn't until I saw part five that I realized what a piece of trash it was. I mean, I knew the series reputation, but you're always hoping that yours is going to come out better. And then the director of this one said, uh, and I quote, I shot an effing porno in the woods there. You wouldn't believe the nudity they cut out. Oh my gosh. So that's the people who made the film. That's their... <laughs> that's, that's so weird. And that's how they got involved. Wow. It's, wow. So I will say I have a lot of questions for, for the script writers. Because I feel like... So sometimes I watch a film and, I, and I'm filled with sadness because I feel like I could have come up with that. And then if I had, I could have had a film. Yeah. Sometimes I watch a film and I'm like, this is brilliant. I never could have come up with this. Yeah. And the example is, you know, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once, right? Could not have come up with it. Yeah. Couldn't have asked for Great a better experience. But then there's this film. And this film is also one that I couldn't imagine ever having come up with because I don't mm -hmm, know how, mm -hmm. they, how they got here. Like who said, okay, so we have this young kid. We're going to have him visit his brother, who's going to yep. be named Demon, because why not? 
And then he's going to sure. have some bad enchiladas from his van. Like, that's right. Who, who thought of that? Right? Like, I mean, or who th- I, I, again, it sounds like they were all high the whole time. So I guess. Maybe- I mean, I guess so. <laughs> Do you know that would actually make more sense? Just seeing this all as, as people basically being like, yeah. And wouldn't it be funny if then there was this weird stew that Ethel's making? Because the Ethel and Junior characters are also wildly weird to me. And like he's eating slop at one point and she's like, don't I make the best slop? <laughs> but if I'm thinking of this as everyone's just high, that makes more sense. That that makes a lot more sense. You begin to understand where all the like all these characters are just like them. They're like maybe they're like high riffings on like what these people are like. And you're like, they're not it's not based on any reality. It's just this yes. like contrived idea of an idea. For what people are like and because it almost feels like a a scary movie script right Mm, like interesting interesting the the satire films because where they were like wouldn't it be funny if we had this happen Mm, then mm -hmm. and you're and you can see you know in this the seeds of of horror that has been successful yeah like having a a character like tommy continue in the way that heather langenkamp's character of nancy continues right so I feel like everything in there, you can see where they said, we've had a lot of success with this. What if we did it? But like even costuming, like this is set in the 80s. Those two, I don't know what they were, teenage boys in the woods mm-hmm. that were dressed like 1950s uh, yo, yeah. movie version of of Street Fighters with their like leather caps. Like what was happening? Was that supposed to be some like leather caps as in because they're, they're part of like the gay BD sm movement of the 80s or is that what someone actually thinks people in the 80s looked like like i just have have lots of questions you know i guess i don't i did the style of it didn't stick out to me but oh i also gosh. didn't grow up in the 80s so that, I that's mean, hilarious <laughs> that's a I, good didn't, I didn't i mean <laughs> maybe maybe that is what people looked like um because i was i was young when the 80s ended but it felt like some of the costumes particularly those two felt like they took them from west side story like it just felt like yeah. they were like let's go into the warehouse you have five minutes to grab any grab costume it, you can yeah. and then we will make those costumes work yeah i i mean and maybe I they did Who i knows? don't know i don't know how the i did not i did in my research did not find any anything about the costume making but i no. would not be surprised if it was something as like sloppy and shoddy as this like the, the goal of this like from the studio is like to just produce it for as cheap as possible Yes, and then get yes. it seen by as many people as possible. So I mean, which and, is a model that one can choose to to use. Right? I I mean, it certainly is. I it was moderately successful. It was it was able to earn twenty two million dollars, which against a budget of two million dollars, which is that's great. Actually, actually, that's incredibly. Sick. You see why these films keep yes. getting made. That's yes. a twenty yes. million dollars profit there, even if you double that and you it to account for advertising and that which it would not have been as much back then as no, it is no. advertising as it is now that's still probably around like 15 million dollars profit yeah. from this movie i think studios are still trying to capitalize on that but they're forgetting the key part which was really really cheap budgets right so now cheap budgets are like 15 or 20 million and yet the films are only making 15 or 20 million and they're surprised by how that's happening. And then that's not even to mention the films that have several hundred millions of a budget and then don't recap that, which we've talked about in a couple episodes. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess you're right in terms of the the people who are making the money. So for the money people, 
this I, was a smart decision. Oh, I absolutely. Guess. Going back to our, our, our <laughs> to the money people who we've referenced yeah. several times. Yeah, they've got it figured out. I don't know. They're like, you guys are the real suckers here. You're the ones watching it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> so never mind. We have to take back everything we said. This was a smart decision on the money people's parts. It, it just is so baffling to me that I guess the, it gets made because of the money, but like in every other respect, I just find it odd that they thought that they could continue a franchise without the character that people consider to be at the heart of this franchise. I also thought yeah. it was interesting to have it be, but wait, it's his dad and that's you know yeah. Joey's dad and this big reveal that that felt very, very out of sorts from what this franchise has been trying to do. I mean, if cynically, it it was it really really reminded me of Nightmare on Elm Street too. Uh, of like mm. that, that, uh, that revealed there too, and just like other and other other familiar trope tropes within it. Yeah, I I think it's interesting that they didn't then just commit to that. If since it yeah. was gonna be such a big twist to be like it's this random guy who don't you remember him showing up at, right. when his son died for like right. briefly, and you're like, hmm, I guess I I guess I remember that. <laughs> so I, I read the plot description of this film first because I didn't feel there was anything that was going to happen that was going to be, you know, so transformational that I would be upset that I hadn't read it. And of course, then I read, you know, the twist and I was like, oh, actually, I guess there was something I could have been surprised on. But having known it was him, you know, they, they do make sure he gets in front of the camera at least once. And he's like, you talking to me? You know, and then, you know, his supervisor is like, no. So they did make sure that at least we saw that person on camera. But you're so very right that it was it was very, very random. And there's even a line where the police officer is like, I don't really understand it because he hadn't he hadn't acknowledged his son in life. And he didn't really know much about Jason Voorhees. But here's what happened. So yeah, even I the film even acknowledges the film is it. like, that's so true that even the filmmakers at a certain point can't commit to it. They're like. Yeah, and I people think people be crazy weirdest, sometimes. <laughs> I think the the weirdest part about the reveal to me was the fact that he's obviously not doing well because he just lost his son. He obviously sure. has decided to go on this murder spree, but he also had to make a mask where he had a bulbous head slash no hair, mm -hmm. so that he could be Jason, look like Jason. And, yeah, and I just like yeah, I. That's that's where the suspension of disbelief begins to fall for me. <laughs> also, why is the mask blue in this one? Like, oh, the I didn't even notice that. Do they could they not get the masks from the other like from the prop departments from the other film? I don't know. They I don't like know. do this weird Jason. I guess in like maybe like well let me let me all take it seriously for a second like before <laughs> before doing a bit i you know um maybe the filmmakers were like this is us telling the audience that it's not really jason this is okay. a fake it's a fake jason okay or I maybe be willing just, to buy that you know I, you know i i if they if the filmmakers want to claim that interpretation they're very willing to uh I probably think they just didn't even notice it. Uh, I don't think anybody was paying that close attention to it. But I just thought it was funny that it's interesting that, that the, the mask for Jason has become so fixed as this, like, it's very, I mean, it's very a kind wearing socks with the mask on it, on it right now. Yes. Uh, it's yes. Very, yeah, the it hockey is. mask is iconic, but it's not there from the original. It's not in the first film. And it's not even consistent once they establish the hockey mask. I right. Just something of interest, I thought. Right. It is interesting because 
it almost feels like maybe no one had watched the film. Certainly it means that unless they did it as, like you said, some sort of really intense foreshadowing, you know, it just meant that they just didn't care. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is is OK, I, I guess. Uh, I guess. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting to see, like you were alluding to earlier, though, that the, this film has managed to to be also not only the like worst film on the franchise for most people. Yeah. But it's also it's also often considered, you know, I mean, there's a, a GQ article called the bloodiest, most deranged film of the franchise. Right. And admittedly, there are 22 deaths in, in like the 92 minutes, and that's pretty impressive. But it's interesting to me that we have a film that is offering this much ridiculousness, this much camp, and a franchise that has been about camp, literally and, and you know, Yeah, but literary. also, like, literally, yes, but I would actually argue this is a pretty big, like, I think that's what I was mentioning earlier. It feels like kind of a big tonal departure in like now and actually kind of leaning into the sillier stereotypical yeah. extreme elements that would become commonplace within horror and have been now but it's yeah, a first I guess for the franchise true. for this one so, at least so i think that it, i guess that's true because the first one obviously is not doing that right the first one is a, is a really its own creature and should be treated as its own separate beast I think the second and third film are are getting a little campier sort of throughout, uh, just a little, right? By even just the sort of meta-ness of being a camp of counselors, learning how to be a camp counselor. You yeah. know, we're getting a little bit of it. We get some kind of ridiculous deaths in three, but then you're right. By the time we get to four, because we have a family unit, we're sort of reining it back in. It I, does. It kind of gets a little bit more. The fourth one was a little bit more serious than what we had come yes. to expect from the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, and then this one throws it all out the window. That's true, including Jason. It would be interesting to know if, because I think about in you know in eighty five, you're gonna you might be able to read maybe a review in a newspaper uh, about the film, and that's yeah, if yeah. if someone if a serious film critic took the time to review it. But you're pretty much going to go see it because you know it's a Friday the 13th film. And until enough of your friends have seen it to tell you to avoid it, you're not going to know to avoid it. So I just wonder if if it came out today, would it have even achieved anywhere close to the same level of, of financial success? That's that's actually very interesting. I, I wonder. I'm not 100% sure. I think, I mean, Friday the 13th is very huge within the cultural like zeitgeist, but I'm not sure yeah. how much market power it has anymore, like particularly on a divisive entry. Like I think social media yes. challenge, like social media clatter, if this had been released for like this film, I think would have been DOA. I think you might be right. Yes. Because yes. it doesn't appease the original fans. And I really honestly, I think we might be a special case of like people who just who like or but not not particularly this franchise. And so I don't know. I thought this yeah. film was okay. I kind it's very stupid. Oh, it's a hundred percent stupid. It's kind of fun, uh, but it doesn't really appeal to mainstream moviegoers either. No. So it doesn't no. appeal to like the fans of the franchise or fans or just like regular casual moviegoers. So right. yeah, I think if there was if there was people talking about it today, early chatter, social media, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You know they're making a TV show. It's gonna be called Crystal Lake. It's gonna be out on Peacock. Peacock? Which yes, which I which already, right? I find very interesting. Peacock is is a strange streaming platform to me because it feels like 
for a while, I think they were just, hey, we're just going to have a way for you to watch all the shows that that we've you know had on our channel that you may have missed. But then somewhere along the way, they were like, but wait, that's not making us as much, I assume it's money, right? As much money as every other streaming service is getting. So what if we started to have really weird early releases that you wouldn't think would make sense? And then they did, and I forget what some of the films were, but we watched some films on Peacock that I was like, why is this on this streaming platform? But and now they're they're making content. So uh, well, I guess they're gonna they're into it. No, they're gonna compete in the streaming wars. <laughs> and well, I and guess I think this Friday the thirteenth will be a part of that competition. Yes. And I think science sci fi channel's success with, with Chucky uh has really That's made, a good point. Yeah. Which at some point you and I should, should watch maybe and check discuss. out. You know, I tried the first episode and it was it was so odd. Oh, interesting. And I can't figure out if it was like, it was totally very odd. And I can't figure out if it was intentionally odd because it's building this really intense campiness. Because some of the plot makes me feel like that has to be the case. But some of it, I just like, I wasn't sure what I was watching always. And I wasn't sure if it was being in places bad on purpose or bad on accident. So at some point we should talk about it. But obviously a new beginning there's no confusing. It's, it's just bad. On purpose, I think? Like, it sounds like, I mean, if they're high, they can't have expected it to be amazing. But I don't think they wanted to make a film that was going to be everyone's least favorite film in the franchise, right? I, I, I don't know. I can't imagine. It doesn't sound like the filmmakers were attempting to do that. And I mean, even from some of like, the actors' quotes involved, they're like, we thought maybe ours might be a little different. But well, it was different. <laughs> it was different. I'll, That's I'll for sure. That, but... I don't know if it's like different in the in the good way, but I guess all all press is good press. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in the eighties, <laughs> all money is good money. Certainly for the the money folks. For, uh, for I also want to say yeah. that what I found interesting about this film because it's it is it is a repeating element of the franchise is the ways that they put in these things that that could yield for some really interesting conversation, but uh-huh. then they don't follow it through to completion. Right. And I'm thinking particularly of, you know, this is a film that, that does give us some black actors. Yeah. One of the black actors survives until the end, which is kind of exciting. We have some really interesting potential for mental illness discussions, which, of course, Night, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. certainly explores in, in greater depth. But we also have room for, like, to talk about socioeconomic class and, you know, outsiders versus insiders. Like, there was so much going on that it, some of it could have been developed really in meaningful ways, but that was not the goal of this film. I think it just was like trying to pack in like way too much. Like, yes, which, and I mean, I guess that's like what you, it goes back to what you said that like they have to like pack in so many situations so they can hit that kill count, that yes. sweet, sweet kill count. But I don't know. I, I think that if they had just like maybe even like focus their, the narrative here, like at the mental health hospital or, Yes. then I think maybe this movie might have been a little bit more cohesive, question mark. Yes. I don't know if there's a lot that they could have done with this story to make it appealing to the fans. I think they were always, no. like, as long as they didn't have, it's clear that for whatever reason, like you said at the top, Jason is this franchise, in quotes. Right. Even though right. he's not here all the time, that's what fans have gleamed on to. And right. I just don't know if there's any way that they could have made that twist work. We're in 2022 mm-hmm. and fans are still getting mad at creators when they try to twist who they're, yes. who like the horror killers are. Yes. So I think this is, yeah, it 
it was a problem in 85, it's a problem in 2022. I just, there's a lot of hard stuff that you have to deal with with fan reaction when you're working in the franchise setting, as we all know. I do want to go back because it's, it's making me laugh the more I think about it. The the statement you said about how the actor who played Tommy Jarvis had spent all this time prepping. Yeah. Because, because I do remember watching the film and being like, man, this is like, this is really intense how he's reacting in a situation that that they haven't give him given him much right like jarvis doesn't do much in the film but the actor does an awful lot right where he's like constantly you know staring off into yes um so this makes more sense how devastating but also really i know this guy really thought he was gonna be like his breakout role he was like his like serious movie role and then he shows up in the woods to make friday the 13th yeah that's so so embarrassing very disappointing too i imagine yes it it did catch my attention that he the actor you know does bear a resemblance to the the actor in nightmare on elm street too in terms of the fact that they're you know both sort of okay. and, and blonde and, yeah. and being cast as characters that are exhibiting more emotions than the 80s assumed men had as a general rule and i can't remember so nightmare on elm street 2 also came out in 85 right let me double check that sounds right that's right, 85. So I, I just, I think it's interesting that they're hitting some of the same beats, you know, without necessarily copying each other. And both of those films are, at least at the time, were, of course, ridiculed. But I think it's interesting that no one's really championed A New Beginning, right? Like, that there's not people that have, like, reappropriated that film. Yeah, it's really fascinating because you kind of think that there would be because right. like maybe like this feels like a film that might be like perfect for like late night screenings. Yes. Just because it's so violent and the the dialogue is so clunky that like Yes, and there's some really like lines that you could easily like shout Rocky out Horror right? style yeah. shout back at. Yeah, I, so it's it's actually really interesting. I and with I wonder, 22 kills in 92 minutes, I mean, talk about a that's great a drinking, drinking game, game right there. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, I I wonder what the difference. I, I guess it's it is that comes down to the fan base. Like I think, I think so. Friday the Thirteenth fans are a lot more purists than yes. like the Nightmare fans would would be because like yes. there is great deal of discussion within the Nightmare on Elm Street community about like the quality of those films and everybody's rankings. There's not that much in the Friday the 13th. There's a formula that the fans kind of like. Yes. Yes. They do seem more of a of a monolith, right? That like they universally have decided the, to rank the films. Yes. And and I think they've universally ranked some of the other films as well. So I think you're right. Maybe it is an an audience thing. But it then makes it so interesting that we do have that the filmmakers are going to keep making films that are kind of wildly odd right we're gonna go to space at some point and that's you know so like it's it's like they don't understand what the fans want which is pretty much just a let's go out in the woods let's make sure some people die and let's make sure jason's the one doing the killing so there's our discussion of friday the 13th a new beginning but what's really just the middle of a franchise and yep (laughs) <laughs> you know, a beginning that that died before it even had a chance, despite the fact that it was not a great film. Tony and I rather enjoyed it, which we are quite aware, for those of you that are listening, that are our Friday the 13th fans, may mean that you hate us with a passion untold, but we would love to hear your thoughts yeah. on on why it is that this film just doesn't work for you, or if there's like three of you out there that agree with us, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. 
Tony, what would they do if they want to get in contact with us? Well, they should definitely get in contact with us via our email or our social media. That's the best place to get in contact with us. Definitely. Let us know your thoughts on the Friday the 13th films. This is not a franchise that either of us are super fans of. So we would love to hear from you guys and be able to share reactions from you guys on future episodes of the podcast. So you can get in touch with us there. You can also leave us a rating or review wherever you get your podcast from that really helps get our name out there. Uh, and it's just a great way to engage with us. Yes. And for now, at least this is we're recording this in December of 2022. We're still on Twitter. I don't know what will become of that, but you know, you can still get a hold of us in a lot of ways. Tony, what are we going to be looking at next? The thing we're going to be moving on to next is The Thing 2011. <laughs> we were we've already done two versions of The Thing, three if you count the short story that we discussed uh in that in our episode there which you can listen to wherever you get your podcasts from. Yes. And we're going to continue that discussion of The Thing and see how this remake holds up, what it does. I've never seen it. I'm looking forward to it. I've seen it. That's, Uh-oh. <laughs> that's the end of my statement. So for those of you that have seen it and are maybe wondering, like, how dare we devote an entire episode to the 2011 film when we did not to the 80s film, don't worry. We will continue talking about the 1982 film. In fact, we'll use that as sort of our gateway into the 2011 thing. Other things to keep in mind, we are uh, going to eventually be returning to doing a book. So for those of you that are going to be able to read soon, I think we've narrowed it down to a couple of, of books, either The Fervor by Alma Katsu, which looks at the Japanese internment camps in World War II, and she's one of the predominant historical horror authors out there. And because we have to, at some point, we're also going to, of course, talk about Paul Tremblay's the Paul Bearers Book Club. No. Yep. Yes, Book Club. The Paul yeah. And <laughs> I always want to say like the Paul Tremblay Book Club and then I get confused. Anyway, the Paul Bearers Book Club. Now, if Paul Tremblay does want to invite us to a book club, we would accept that offer. In a heartbeat. So if you are finding yourself with some books to read, those are ones that came out in the last year that, that we are excited to talk about. And as always, thank you so much for listening to our nightmares. And have a spooktacular day.